As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way give all that we got, Right, the third annual Mosier Great American $20,000 and SDPC Race Shop Dream Team Challenge is coming up quickly. It's a little over a month away. It's March 26th through the 29th. There are two spots available in Top Ball, eight spots remaining in Foot Break, and eight spots remaining in Junior Dragster category. Get with Britt, get with Galen to secure your spot for this year's unique Dream Team event. Coming to Texas Motorplex, March 11th through the 15th, CP Promotions brings the Pro One Texas Two-Step 50K, presented by J. Allen Sherman Racing Engines and RaceSponsorships.com. Tons of racing for both box and no-box racers for an incredible value. Stay tuned for more details about the Pro One Texas Two-Step 50K. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss... Johnny Bracket Racer and Stephanie Buston Nass. Jed, how are you? Luke, I am doing well. It's, it's so good to be back with the, the team here on the podcast. You know, we've been flying solo here for, I don't know, what, a month or so and hadn't uh, teamed up. So good to be back. I, I felt like the welcome back was for me as well. I'm, I'm glad to be back with you. And, you know, life's good, man. Um, still a newlywed. Things are going well. Got about two and a half hours sleep last night from picking the wife up from uh, her trip to Disney World. I picked her up at the airport a little past midnight, so that was good. So I'm feeling great. Um, recovering from hernia surgery, which I'm just about back to 100% from there. 
and uh, getting ready for racing season. So just feel like I'm wide open right now, Luke. How about yourself, bud? How much of the details of hernia surgery do the listeners want to hear? Well, um, who sang the song? It was um, from the land down under. You know, that was a that was a really good song, land down under. I don't remember who sang it, but let's just say that song describes my hernia surgery fairly well. And um, that's pretty much all anybody needs to know. Um, it was bad. But it's almost so, good again. This, this was not a, a belly button entrance. No, no, it's wasn't the old belly button. Uh, it was there was a button close by, but it it wasn't a belly button. The the land down under, in case the listeners are wondering, comes from Minute Work. Minute Work. Yes, Minute I, Work I, is the artist there. Yeah, that's a good song. We ought to play that sometime. Shouts to Minute Work. Yes. How about you, uh, Luke? I know your life's exciting right now as well. Well, I just I wanted to to bring up like it is the welcome back. I mean, our listeners know there's a new sportsman drag racing podcast every week, right? What do we normally send them out Wednesday midday? Mm -hmm. And so we've had some awesome interviews lately. We had James, James Wester on last week. For those of you that didn't get a chance to hear that, go back and check that out. Really touching. Great story. Uh, we've had a bunch of champ interviews between Vic Penrod and Keith Cleveland, Ryan Monford, Mikey Sturgill. Um, Kevin McKenna and I got together and did an NHRA kickoff show. But to your point, Chad, it's been, I'm looking at our show schedule here. It's been January 23rd since you and I were on the same podcast. So it does, it feels good to be back. Oh, yes, it does. It does. We've got a lot to talk about. But but first, I mean, there, there's a lot happening in Luke Bogacki's world outside of uh, racing, the, the racing market. So tell us about it, Luke. I, I'm excited about this. Okay. Okay. So biggest when it's not race season in the Bogacki household, it is basketball season. It's kind of what we do during the winter, right? Season tickets to the SIU games. Gary and I went on a basketball trip shortly after uh, – after Christmas, that was his Christmas gift. Had a lot of fun built around basketball. And, and now my oldest, Gary, he is six. He's in first grade. So this was our second year of playing youth basketball. And I have coached both years. So we had a kindergarten-only league last year. It was co-ed. A lot of fun. Uh, and they basically just rolled the ball out. We didn't have practices or nothing. We played, I think, eight games. And we didn't win any of them. We tied once. Okay. So my, there was only three teams in the league. We were – by far and away, the team that wasn't particularly competitive, right? Perfect season. So, I like it. Right, right. Well, one tie. So fast forward to this year. Now it's first and second grade. Hey, Gary is a first grader. Um, and Gary is not the most, how can I say this, coordinated first grader in the world, right? Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, he'll be a little bit behind this year, but that's okay. You know, he'll, he'll learn about the game. I, once again, volunteered to coach. This year I had an assistant coach, which is a huge step up. If you ever coach youth sports, anything, um, lobby for an assistant. It really helps. So, <laughs> so uh, our first practice, and, and I, <clears throat> I don't know where to start here, Jed. Uh, the, I guess the, the end, the takeaway here is um, we were 0-7 another win this season. So I think this is an indictment on me as the coach, right? Uh, I mean, in two years now of coaching youth basketball, we haven't won a game. So there is one common denominator. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you're doing a fine job, Luke. Well, I I'm trying. Now, in my defense, I'm not going to say, like, I'm not going to claim to be the greatest coach in, in the world by, by any stretch. Jed, I don't 
think if Bill Self coached our team, he'd have won a game. I don't have any doubt about that. I don't think he'd have finished 500. Okay, you get one hour a week with these kids, and, and to just be completely honest, we, we didn't have a whole lot to work with. So, Case, our, so our regular listeners don't have to go look up Bill Self. He coaches the Kansas uh, University basketball team. Let me make this a little bit easier. I'm trying, Greg Popovich couldn't have gone 500 with this team. <laughs> Coach K? Coach K, you familiar with Coach K? Not going to have a winning record. Um, it, it circled back. Like, I should have known. I, I did know right off the bat. You know, we had two practices before our first game. And my son, who I just mentioned, you know, not the most coordinated first grader. Um, first practice, I have everybody introduce themselves. We have two second graders out of eight on the team. Like, oh, that's, that's not a great ratio, right? Really want some leaders. They want some experienced kids in here. And then we get into the first practice. And I came home and I told my wife, I said, you know, you could make the argument. I'm, I'm not ready to say it just yet, but you could make the argument that our uncoordinated first grader is our best player. It's going to be a long year. And it was. It was a long year. Um, in the end, like, we had a lot of fun. We were a really great group of kids. Um, they, they played really hard. They listened well. Like, it was a lot of fun. And they got a ton better from game one to game seven. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, so winless. Um, I'm trying to think, like, there's some takeaway here. And maybe by the time, you know, second grade season comes around, I'll have a better grasp on it. I don't really know what the takeaway is other than um, I haven't won anything. Um, I don't think I'm a very good coach, but we're having fun. I guess that's all I got. Well, uh, I understand. I've, I've been there. I've coached this age group. It's challenging. Uh, do you guys, are you allowed to play man to man or do you have to play zone or? No, I think it's actually in the rules that we have to play man to man. Um, there were a couple of teams that did zone us, which was a real issue because, uh, outside of Gary, we don't have anybody that has a prayer of making a shot outside the paint. So yeah. when you put five defenders in the paint, gives us a hard time. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. So the man-to-man -man stuff, you know, 99% uh, of those players go with their right hand and they run to the right block and they bank it in or they'll just throw it up in there and swish it. So I always taught my, uh, my guys, forget about chasing him. When you think he's going around you, just run to the block and wait on it. <laughs> it makes things way more difficult for them to, to shoot and score. So when I think about it, that's what the really good team was doing to us, Jed. Why didn't <laughs> I think of this? Yeah. I wish we had a talk before this. <laughs> I really that needed your help. You know, block. now that I think about it, maybe Bill Self would have gone undefeated. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well, hopefully it goes better next year. Hey, we had a good time. And then the kids love it. I got some, it was actually the, our last game was Saturday and uh, several of the kids brought me like cards and, uh, you know, small tokens of appreciation just made my day. So that was by far the highlight of the season for, for awesome. Coach Luke. Um, all right, Jed, let's circle it back to some, uh, some on-track action because now it's early March and at least on the coasts and a little bit, well, I guess East Coast, West Coast, Gulf Coast. Is, is mostly the, the action that we're seeing to this point in the season. We're getting a little race in action across the country. Um, we got a little bit of bracket stuff to cover. We got a little bit of NHRA stuff to cover. Um, let's start there. Let's start with the NHRA results. Or, I just didn't say results. Some of, the, some of the big stories. Yeah. So, obviously, uh, you and, and Kevin McKenna got together, as you mentioned, and uh, 
Well, you guys seem to be pretty good at this uh, uh, prognosticating. Yeah, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much, but um, yeah, we crushed it. If you listen to the uh, the episode prior to Pomona, we made our picks for the sportsman categories, and let me be completely honest, um, I've slept like 30 times since then, and I don't have my notes in front of me, but there was what, uh, the super classes, stock, super stock, there was seven true sportsman classes at Pomona. I think we at least mentioned the winner in four or five of them, and we just made one pick each. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we yeah, crushed hard to do. So, so that was cool. And to this point, in addition to, uh, well, there's been two national events on the West Coast, Pomona and Phoenix. Uh, plus, just this past weekend, there was a divisional in Tucson. Over on the East Coast, there's been a pair of Division Two races, Orlando and South Georgia. And then just this past weekend, Division Four kicked off in Belrose. Not going to go through the specific results from each event, but Jed, there have been a lot more um, trophies to date than winners. There's been a lot of repeat winners, a lot of doubles for this for only five races in the books. So wanted to uh, to highlight those first and foremost. The most notable probably um, Val Torres, that'd be uh, Big Val, with a Supergas win at Pomona, and then followed that up with a Super Comp win at Phoenix. So two national events, two Wallies for Val. Can't start much better than that. No, the the Torres quick start is happening once again sometimes it's it's the sun sometimes or one of the suns or both of the suns this time it's big bow yeah and and the family thing like they they tend to do that uh gabe almost got in on the act he was runner up last weekend at the tucson divisional so torres is everywhere you turn um on the west coast which is nothing new yeah um Mentioned Division 7 event in Tucson last weekend. Uh, a pair of double-up winners there. Our pal Ryan Mangus got it done winning Super Comp and Stock Eliminator. Uh, won a heads-up final in Stock opposite Larry Gilly. It seems like those two clash heads-up with some degree of regularity. It's like <laughs> once a season, right? Yeah. Uh, typically late that. in the race. And, uh, and this one was the final. This one went the way of Mangus. I saw you got the Super Comp win in uh, Justin Lamb's new race tech car as well. So congrats to uh, the team Mangus Lamb. Yeah, those guys off to a hot start. Uh, good to see our buddy Ryan Mangus getting it done. And uh, as you said, uh, the the Camaro, I think that's an E-Stalker, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was an uh, E-Automatic heads-up like, final. Yeah, and two of the fastest E-cars in the country, if not the two fastest. So uh, that was a, another good run by those guys. Uh, Luke, speaking of familiar names, getting it done on the West Coast, the Taylor family strikes again Jeff Taylor this time with a win in top dragster and top sportsman. You talked a little bit about his box score while we were off air. Yeah, he was nasty impressive, which, again, to be expected. But Jeff Taylor, top sportsman was just a four-round race. He was eight, three, seven, and then got away with a 22 in the final. Top dragster was a six-round race. He was 11, nine, nine, 14, uh, semifinal by run, and then seven in the final. So if you throw out one lamp from what, eight rounds of competition worst lights 14 wow that is impressive no matter what class when you're letting go of the button but you know especially where you're in those running those speeds and those kind of cars that's that's very yeah. impressive yeah you don't see that as often in the in the fast bracket classes and to be quite frank um if i'm staging up a door car that went like six something i probably i don't think i'd be all that focused on the tree either <laughs> a lot going on right yeah. Um, or, you know, a drag extra going 615, 
right? which neither of those apply to Jeff Taylor. Like he's in quote unquote bracket cars, but nonetheless, like that's yeah. it's a difficult thing to do to string together uh, that type of performance over the course of a weekend in two separate race cars. And uh, Jeff Taylor did it with the precision that you would expect drove to um, the double victory in Tucson. Another double winner um, early in the season. Actually, a young man that's off to a tremendous start all the way around, Brad Burton. Um, Brad got the stock eliminator win at the national event in Phoenix. In addition to, uh, or he backed that up, I guess I should say, with the super stock win at the divisional at Tucson over the weekend. And oh, by the way, um, in the process of winning the Phoenix national event in stock, he also advanced to the semifinals in super stock. So heck of a start to the season for uh, the two-time former NHRA world champ. Yeah, bad Brad uh, doing his typical thing, getting those wins out there on the West Coast. Go ahead and start to pile those points up early and uh, give the guys out this way something to look at as the season progresses. So Brad, uh, no doubt, will get in the amount of races necessary to be a, a major player in the final outcome of, of those categories. So be interesting to watch that play out the rest of the year. A lot of racing left, obviously, long, long season still in front of us, but uh, I would assume this is going to put him in position to to do the chase for sure. Yeah, no, to your point, I mean, there's, what, five races in the books out of, what, 70-ish that will go into determining the world champion. So we're not ready to crown anybody just yet, but somebody like Brad Burton, somebody like Justin Lamb has immediate success. It's kind of normal to pencil them in as a, as a contender. And uh, in addition to the doubles that we just talked about, had a handful of near doubles uh, at those five events thus far. Just mentioned Justin Lamb. Justin was the Superstock winner at Pomona and then followed that up with a runner-up in Phoenix. Uh, our buddy Vernon Rowland just this past weekend in uh, Belrose, the Division Four opener, took the Super Comp win. I believe he knocked off Holden Reese in that final and then also drove to the final round in Super Gas where he took runner-up runner honors to Van Arnold. Uh, Mike Crutchfield's been in two finals to date. That's one of your hometown guys. Alabamian. Right? Yeah. Uh, Paris Superstock finals at the two Division II events. He was runner-up in Orlando. He followed that up with a win at South Georgia. Exact same result for Kevin McNichol in Super Street. Runner-up at Orlando, followed that up with a win at South Georgia. And I think we discussed this on a previous episode, but back at that first event in Orlando, which was actually in late January, saw Rusty Cook get the win in Supercomp runner-up in super gas yeah so obviously some big time performances there doubles near doubles Luke what about family doubles now this is uh, something that seems like it's a topic for us every year these, these families squaring off in the final rounds or family doubles but some pretty cool stuff's already happened this year as far as family doubles go yeah no it seems like more than normal because it's uh, there, let's face it there's a lot of father-son, father-daughter teams, uh, brothers. I mean, there's a lot of the, the same family competing that, that at events across the, the country, and a lot of them have a lot of success. Um, but several have stood out already this season on the NHRA side alone. The Theobalds, they just went Torres on them. We, we had the, the all-Torres final at Pomona. I don't remember if that was last season or the season prior. Um, the, that was father-son. Uh, the Theobolds did it brother to brother. Um, all super comp final, all super, all Theobold super comp final. That's what I was trying to say, Jed. Uh, in Pomona with Parker getting the win over Travis. That's got to be a special day for those guys uh, and a memory I'm sure that they will never forget. Even all the more special being at Pomona at the Winter Nationals with the prestige, the heritage of that event. Had to be a pretty special moment. 
Yeah, and what, the way the ladders fall for, for that category, you know, I, I think folks probably understand and know it, but you can't manipulate that. That It has to work perfect where you fall on opposite sides. Uh, there's nothing you can do to control that like you can in, in super stock or stock qualifying. So you got to get a little bit lucky there, and then you got to, to work it to where both of you get in the win light every time make your way to the final. So that, that's, that is truly a remarkable feat from top to bottom for those guys to even make the final and get to race one another. It's a very special moment, very close family, talented family, uh, definitely something that they'll never forget. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because in stock, super stock, competition eliminator, uh, the ladder is off qualifying. So let's say if you wanted to, if you had a two team cars and super stock, like you could both shut off at eighth mile and be the last two on the qualifying sheet. You'd be guaranteed to be on opposite sides of the ladder. In Super Comp, Super Gas, Super Street, the ladder is determined off of your winning first round ET. So I guess it's possible that if both opponents went red, you could both go 885, you know, or something. Uh, but short of that, like, obviously the, the goal in round one is to get the win light and the ladder just falls where it falls. So to your point, you basically have zero control over where you fall on the ladder. It's just happenstance that you're on opposite sides. And then you mow through to actually meet your brother in the final. It's uh, it's pretty cool stuff. And uh, the Thiebolds were that while they were the only one to advance to that level, um, they were almost joined on a couple of occasions already this season at the West Coast National Events. The Opens nearly pulled um, maybe even a more impressive feat um, because Eddie Jr. won Super Gas in Phoenix while his father at Open was the runner-up in Top Sportsman. So they nearly took two Wallies back to Utah uh, for the Open clan. And uh, at that same event, the, the Larsons, um, the Larsons of Minnesota, although I believe Matt lives in Arizona now, uh, they got very close to doing the same thing. Matt Larson was the super gas runner-up to Eddie Open Jr. at Phoenix. Meanwhile, his brother Trevor advanced to the semifinal in Super Comp. So family ties going all over the place at the early West Coast national events, and uh, that's been fun to keep an eye on. Last three years, Luke, in February, have we said Torres more or Open more? Hmm. I'll say Torres, but that's close. Yeah. I'd never heard of Ed Open, no offense, Ed, until we started doing the podcast and talking about results nationwide. And this guy just gets it done in February. Well, I mean, all year long, really, but he just gets to a, off to a hot start, seems like, every year. It's, it's, it's very remarkable. Little known fact, did you know that Ed Open is, well, I, I don't know if this is a profession. I want to say he is an undertaker. Mm. I believe he owns a funeral home. Okay. Yeah. Well, and he, and he like owns it. Like he's, he, he enjoys kind of being the butt of that joke. Yeah. I hear people are dying to get into that business. <laughs> but um, boom. But um, ching. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, I'm sure it seems like I rem I know specifically from Pomona, I was keeping up because I, obviously I keep a fairly close eye on the super classes and there was a lot of rounds where I just went, whoo, I am glad I'm not in Pomona. Like it, it got pretty ugly there for a while. And I know there've been several rounds like that. So I'm picking one that stood out to me. And, and in saying that, I know that I'm likely missing something somewhere, but I just happened to scroll across going through results this morning. The top sportsman final from the division four opener at Belrose, pretty impressive just because it's top sportsman. Like we talked about earlier, like there's a lot going on there, you know, in addition to just trying to make a nice lap, uh, Cole Prej 
I believe it's it's Prejean, right? I want to say Prejean, but I, I I think it looks like Prejean in Alabama. Okay, maybe it's Prejean, but I, I I'm thinking that's a Cajun thing like Prejean. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it is. Maybe not. We'll shout it out either way. So Cole is in the final of Top Sportsman, and he lays down 24 total. And let's be completely honest. It's the long track at a division race. I would take that. I would take that in Supercom. I would certainly take that in Top Sportsman. Uh, Cole got like 16 change. Mm. Darian Bosch, eight total. Like 002, dead on six, or 006, dead on two, going 640s. Wow. With the Very impressive. Yeah. So that one stood out to me. I thought that that was uh, interesting and notable. Um, and I think we'd be remiss before we switch gears over to the big dollar bracket scene. Jed had some bad news um, from these early events, had a little bit of controversy. Um, we'll start with the bad news. Really scary wreck uh, in Phoenix. I haven't actually seen footage from it. Don't think I want to. Um, but really scary accident for uh, Ryan Harum, a friend of mine, friend of yours, friend of the podcast. Um, glad to hear that Ryan is is doing as well as could be expected. I believe he's still in the hospital in Phoenix, had uh, surgery on his back, had some broken ribs, uh, but sounds like he is going to come through this just fine. Um, but scary, scary stuff. Yeah, some uh, pretty serious damage to him. Uh, hopefully the, the surgeries were as successful as they look and the long-term effect will be minimal on his body. But, you know, you, you start talking about having to work on some vertebrae and uh, these ribs busted up and wearing all these special tools to keep your body straight and firm where you're you're not doing any more damage. It, that's pretty serious business. Um, Ryan obviously had an incident at the finish line and you know by his account he said the uh, the track there at um um what's the is it wild uh wild horse yeah wild horse pass wild, wild horse pass yeah is what they call it and he said that the track there is is never phenomenal but he said it was good enough and he said it's the same uh action or reaction that he's done quite often in his career and something went wrong he, he he didn't feel like he did anything out of the ordinary or you know did a, any kind of super hard drop or any of those things so just one of those deals that happens in racing um i don't i haven't seen anyone calling high gear out for any uh, action that was unnecessary on the racetrack which is a wonderful thing very experienced guy a guy that has a, a record for being safe and uh, knowledgeable out on the racetrack. So uh, I'm sure it was just one of those crazy incidents. Uh, everything lined up wrong instead of right, but uh, the race car did its job, protected him uh, based on the speed and impact that he had. So uh, very happy to see that. And everything I can tell, his spirit is super high and fully intends to get back out there just as soon as he can. So that's always a wonderful thing to see in here. Yeah, and I text with Ryan briefly and, and can share that sentiment for sure. He seems to be in good spirits and, and looking to make a full recovery and get back out there. To your point, Jed, this one hit a little bit close to home for me simply because I'm assembling a car that will be pretty similar to the car that Ryan crashed. Like it's a high mile an hour super gas roadster. And um, to your point, you could make the argument like Ryan's obviously very um, decorated and accomplished. Like you can make the argument between he and I, who is the better uh, racer 
What you can't make the argument about is who is the better driver. That's Ryan. Like this dude's a stunt driver in Hollywood. <laughs> it's what he does, right? So he's very used to living on the edge, or I shouldn't say living on the edge, pushing a car to its limits. Like I don't, I, I don't feel like there's anyone in what we do that is more experienced in that regard. And to just think, like if he could lose control of something like this, obviously I could very easily lose control of something like this. And when you hear the details of the wreck, like the way it was explained to me, I don't know if it was the very first contact, but one of the early contacts that it had with the guardrail, like the first thing to hit the wall was the cage. It was up on its side, cage into wall. And that's scary stuff, man. I, uh, so I, I guess it's easy for us to say because we're not the ones laying in a hospital for weeks. Um, but I think it's also apparent this could have been significantly worse. I mean, he's alongside Marco Paravalaris, um, by all accounts, very close to getting together, right? How could they not? Uh, yeah. Similar speed, super gas cars. Um, and as bad as this is, uh, it certainly could have been worse on all accounts. So wish Ryan a speedy recovery and uh, is this a wake-up call? Again, like we need another one um, to close. Yeah, and we don't talk NASCAR here on the Sports and Drag mm. Racing podcast, but be named Ryan and having uh, accidents right now is, uh, is is about as scary as it gets between uh, Newman and Harum. So, um, let's uh, for the rest of you Ryans out there, let's let's keep it on the right side and be safe because uh, those are two scary, scary incidents. And both of them come out of it, you know, in in as about as good a shape as you can for for as scary as those wrecks were. So that's good stuff. Always these race cars are very impressive. I know they're expensive and you know that they uh, are barred to the to the gills but it's all for good reason that sucker's built direct and when it protects you in something like this uh, you know it's obvious you couldn't be more thankful and ryan has has shared that sentiment uh, several times through this recovery process luke there was another wreck yeah another on track incident uh from my understanding not near as severe or as serious but definitely uh, gotten its share of attention in the 24 hours probably prior to our recording. Uh, this was at the Division Four event in Belrose in a class that we don't talk about a whole lot, but I think it's applicable here. We want to circle back to it. Happening competition eliminator. Jed, I think you're a little bit closer to the story than I am, so let me uh, kick it to you to kind of walk us through what happened, and then we'll share some thoughts on it. Yeah, um, so the reason we're talking about this, the reason I'm even aware of it is because it, it happened opposite of a guy that I have built, if not the most talented, one of the most talented sportsman racers in the country and bad Brad Pleward. Uh, Brad running that, you know, 200 mile per hour buggy and comp eliminator that we've discussed several times here on the show was uh, running opposite um, of a young man named Hudson last name Hudson. I, I can't remember the first name. Ashton. Ashton. That's correct. Good call. Uh, so they make their run and uh, Ashton obviously has a little bit of room. Uh, Complimentary. We won't go into all those details and rules. If you don't understand it, you never will. And if you do, then you get it. But um, yeah, you're one of a dozen. Yeah, the, he, he needed to kill some to protect some index, obviously, as he was out in front. And Sounds like he got a little too much uh, keel, a little too much woe in the in the left pedal, and the car got away from him, crashed up pretty good at the finish line. These are even the slow cars in Complimentator running fast, so you know these are high speeds and dangerous stuff, and it it 
it beat the car up pretty good, wrecked pretty bad. So it was past the finish line, Luke. His wind light was on. So, you know, the thought is, yeah, he won, but there's some things that has to take place after that win to verify it, if you will. If anybody's familiar with Stock Superstock, you know that the, the cars go across the scales and verify that they are at the correct weight. And the, these cars are dealing with indexes, so they must be at the correct weight and um, or above. And the, the car could not get itself across the scales due to the amount of damage that it received. So I don't know the rule there. Uh, I've always been told that any car that hits the wall after the finish line it is the race director's discretion as to whether or not they can continue if they got the wind light. So, you know, I, I would think that's one of those things that you say, oh, yeah, you cut a left front tire down and scuff the wall up and your, your wind light stands. But you go down there and stab the brakes and wad it up. Mm, I don't know if your wind light stands. Obviously, you can't get it across scales, and that's part of the process of getting the win in categories like comp eliminator or some of the others we talked about, he couldn't do it. Apparently, uh, Trey, the race director there for division four made the call that the win light stands and Brad is eliminated. Although Brad could go across the scales and verify the weight. And if you, if you're unfamiliar with that process, so if the winning car even makes it across the scales, but fails the weight test or a fuel test, then they lose. And if the losing car can go across the scales and pass the weight test and fuel test, which I don't know about complimenting. I don't know if there's a fuel test in that or not, Luke. You probably know that. But I believe there I know, is, yeah. I know there's a weight test. But if you go across the scales and you pass those, even if you lost, but your opponent that won couldn't pass those, then you win. You advance. It's, uh, you know, just a, a way of saying you played by the rules and did everything you're supposed to do. Although you lost, you get to win because your winning opponent couldn't do those things. So Mr. Hudson could not get across the scales, couldn't go through the verification processes. So my thought was that that was a requirement. You could not win in advance. This was for the buy to the final. The winner got the buy to the final. So from there, uh, they gave the they they left the wind light stand for Hudson and could not obviously make the buy run and the, the final round was unopposed so there was a couple of rounds there he couldn't make where Brad could have gone across the scales could have passed and would have been able to make both of those next two runs but was not allowed to uh, he made a post about it. Uh, very upset. He has since taken it down. It was very out of character for Brad. Um, I'd say justified. I don't think he did anything wrong. I would have been pissed too. But um, he did take it down. But it basically said, you know, I, I feel like they made the wrong call here. I think that I should have been allowed to continue because he couldn't go through the verification process to make sure that everything was legit and by rule those of us that can do that should advance and Luke it sounds like he didn't get that opportunity and it, the way the post was written it sounded like Trey might have had a little um, 
he might have thought differently about it after the decision was done and over with. He, he might have thought that maybe he should have done it a different way. Sounds to me like Division Four Director Trey Caps is becoming the new Mike Rice. <laughs> Congratulations, Trey! You are in the running for the goat of the decade. Um, no, and I say that tongue in cheek because obviously division directors have a really, really difficult job. Yeah. This being uh, another case in point, because let's just let's try to connect the dots here. And obviously, this is complete speculation on my part, Jed. Um, I'm just looking at the box score. Ashton Hudson was the low qualifier in comp, went an, um, an astounding 77 under the index in qualifying, right? For those of you that have some understanding, and I'll put myself in that group of how competition eliminator works, you don't really want to go more than 50 under in eliminations, and you don't ever want to go more than 60 under if you can avoid it, because yeah. you go 50 under, your index gets adjusted for the next round. If you go 60 under, your ind index gets adjusted forever. Right. So assuming that there's no changes to the car, like he's got to kill a lot to begin with. Um, and just looking at this, like he went 56 under in this particular round, um, 865 at 145. And you just figure that's a car capable of 850 ish qualified at 845. So let's say he can go 160. So he's down like 15 mile an hour. Um, at the same time, Brad's uh, 637 at 177. Like that car can go to 15. So they're both down a bunch, right? Um, now, like the obvious speculation, and it is just that on my part, is that uh, Ashton Hudson particularly is, is on the brakes to do that, right? And to your point, Jed, um, if you, my understanding of the, the rule is if you cross the center line or hit a barrier prior to the finish line, it's an automatic disqualification. Yep. You hit a barrier past the finish line, it is the race director's decision. And essentially, the judgment call then is, was that accident um, perpetuated by excessive braking? And here's, this is the problem that we get back to with the excessive braking rule in general. Like, it's so subjective. Because who knows? Ashton Hudson probably knows. Beyond that, nobody knows yeah. what, what caused this, right? So by that alone, I could say, like, because let's be honest, like we've fried Mike Rice for making the opposite decision. Now, what's funny, and, you, and a lot of you are standing on the rooftop saying, I watched the run where Jamie, Jerry Emmons got disqualified. How does he get disqualified? And this dude doesn't want to hit the wall, right? And I'm, I'm not going to argue with you, right? <laughs> I, I get that. Um, but at the same time, like, like I say, it just comes down to a, a completely subjective decision. And I didn't see it. Like if it's... Uh, Trey Caps or whoever's opinion that, hey, breaking didn't cause that, then I completely understand the ruling of saying, okay, well, we're not going to throw him out. And let's be frank, like whatever happened didn't affect what happened to 1320 and Ashton Hudson won the round. So I, I get that argument. The flip side and where I think you have a hard time justifying it, Jed, is what you brought up in that in any performance-based category, which I would lump Obviously, comp is at the, the highlight of that, but stock, super stock apply to the same rules. Uh, even top dragster and top sportsman, to some extent, um, you have to you have to weigh post run almost every round. Uh, sometimes they'll weigh you by the scales, and you have to fuel check almost every round. Uh, in comp, I think it is every round because it is such a performance based category, and it's always been my understanding that passing those checks is part of winning the round like i have seen several racers witnessed firsthand several racers that had perfectly legal 
combinations like well above weight, uh, particularly in, in stock and super stock, that just forgot or drove past the scales or drove by the scales. And with a car that was probably 100 pounds overweight, and I've watched them be disqualified for not weighing post-run. So then how do you argue that a car that is literally not capable of getting to the scales, um, how, do, how does that pass and win? So I can see that side of the argument too. Like I say, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit. I, I, I'm trying my best to, to pitch both arguments and not be completely biased because just like you, I'm, I'm a Brad Plourd fan and this is a big swing for him. There's obviously uh, some emotion charged in, in, in his feelings and his post uh, regarding this because it's, it's a two-round swing for a, a racer that ultimately has designs on competing for a national championship. So this could, this could cost him at year end. Um, but at the same time, like say, I, I could see both sides of the argument. Yeah, I, I guess I could see both sides of it, but man, it sure did seem like the most controversial path was taken. When you've oh, got sure. an option to go either way, and you've got an out either way, it seemed like the easiest, less controversial call would have been to say, yeah, he couldn't pass the scales, and or he couldn't go on the scales and do what he was supposed to do there. If everything checks out for you, you're, you're reinstated. I don't know if it's the ultimate way to make a decision to think of, okay, like which call is going to piss off less people. Yeah. <laughs> but you definitely piss off less people if, if you reverse the yes. decision, because how upset is Ashton Hudson going to be to say that, Hey, um, you're not going to not, you're, you're not going to get to not stage for your semifinal by run. And the, the opponent's going to have a single, like at that point, what does that really matter? Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely think by going this stance, you, you, you make more people mad and it's more of a controversy. I don't know that that necessarily makes it the right call. Um, but uh, knowing what we know, uh, like I'll come down on the, the, the way that I always come down on for Mike Rice and now Trey caps, like it's the wrong call, Trey, bad call. <laughs> Good call, bad call, Jed. I'll say bad call. Oh yeah. Well, I guess everybody <laughs> will have their opinion. I'm, I'm, hopefully we'll hear some more opinions on that. That's a, that's a very interesting subject. And I definitely know where Brad Floyd stands on it. Yeah, I got a pretty um, good idea. So, Luke, let's let's talk about some bracket racing. And I know what we've got in the show notes and, and want to talk about that. And what's not in the show notes and what I should have uh, made sure we put in there, the uh, spring, fring, spring fling galot uh, pre-entry was another two-minute sellout and uh, 400 entries. Now, I haven't talked to Peter and Kyle about this whatsoever. I don't really know how painful it was on their end. I know I saw some of the racers um, definitely showing displeasure in this system and, and how it works and how the website allows or doesn't allow. Um, Luke, the demand is so high. I don't know what they do. I don't know how you fix it. You can't just open it up and say, everybody that wants to, come on. No. You got to cap it. Uh, you got a race that you have to cap. You get it completely. What do they do? <laughs> it's a good question. And let's be frank, if you're going to have a problem, it's a good problem to have as a promoter. Um, but it is a problem nonetheless. Um, and they're, from that perspective, Jed, they're in a 
a can't win situation because I don't care how you do it. If you have 700 racers, let's say, I don't know if that's the number, but I think it's somewhere in that range that legitimately want to attend a race that you have to cap at 400. I don't care how you go about it. You're going to have 300 upset racers, right? There's no way around that. Now there were yeah. some issues to, to my understanding in the process. Once again, like they basically, um, my understanding in, in, kind of renovating the website from some of the issues that they had from Fall Fling Bristol almost went the other direction, right? Uh, and, and what we had was uh, like a, a time delay, my understanding, when racers would uh, purchase an entry, like, you know, how sometimes you get the little spinning thing on the, on the screen that says processing? Yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes was processing for, you know, 30 seconds to a minute at a race that you know is going to fill up in two minutes. So, what's the, the go-to response, like buy again, buy again, buy again. And uh, my understanding is that there were several racers that purchased multiple entries trying to get one. Right. And that, that took quite, uh, it was quite the undertaking to, uh, to try to resolve post-race or, you know, post-deadline. And I think in the end, it resulted in more racers that wanted to get in than not that actually did end up having an entry by the time that they resolved all that. But still... Um, there is exclusion. I mean, there has to be exclusion when you, when you limit the field like this. And, and if you're going to have a race like this at a, at a lot, or let's be frank, a, a fling race at any facility with the exception of Vegas and maybe Charlotte, like you have to limit the field. There'd be a thousand entries. That's how much demand there is for these events. So uh, it's a necessary evil. And for those of you as racers, and I can just speak to this, like you said, Jed, as, as having a, a pre-entry race myself where space is a priority. Um, I guess there are advantages on a promoter side to having pre-entry. Like, you know how many racers are coming beforehand. Um, it's a pain in the ass. Like, there's a lot more work that goes into having a pre-entry race than just swinging the gates open. It does take away some of the anxiety the week of because you can pretty much know who's coming. But like keeping up with the pre-entry process, taking the entries in the first place, keeping up with the list that there is a lot of fluctuation on between the time that entries open and the time that race actually happens. Yeah. There's a ton more administrative work. I would think I speak for all promoters in saying that if we didn't have to deal with that, like it's much easier to run a race where you just swing open the gates and take whoever comes. Um, but they're in a position where the demand outweighs the supply. And as a result, there has to be some type of filtering process. Have they perfected it? No, probably not. Um, but like I say, I think in a perfect process, you're still going to tick off 300 racers. Like it's, it's kind of a no win deal. Yep. No doubt about it. It's, it definitely looked like the, uh, uh, similar song and dance to what we've seen where, where their caps are, uh, or have been in, uh, the previous years and, uh, some got in, some didn't. I get it. I really do. But you, you know, you just you're you're limited on space. And at 400, Galat is wrapped up, especially with the rigs that that show up today. And a lot of those have uh, two to three entries in them, and it's still slam full, uh, even with less than 400 rigs on the ground. So, uh, you know, I, I guess one of the reasons I mention it though, Luke, is you know, we, we all wondered last year, you know, we've got a $1.1 million guaranteed race. There's a, a 500,000, there's a million, another million dollar guaranteed race. There's hundred granders like crazy, 50 granders like crazy. You know, we wondered what the, 
what the reaction to uh, bracket racing was going to be this year with all that available. And early signs are that, you know, the, the premier events are going to still remain strong. You know, if I'm Kyle Riley and SFG team, I'm, I'm feeling good that, that someone in the market has already just filled a race up that quickly and that we know the racers are still hungry for good racing. If I'm Britt and Galen, I got a million dollar guaranteed where they've got 50 some odd entries left before they reach their cap. Got to be feeling good about that because it's still out all the way out to Memorial Day before that one even happens. So, um, you know, I think the race promoters probably feel really good about uh, the, the racers response this year uh, by that early indication that they're still hungry for huge events. Yeah, I'll temper that just a little bit because, and you did, you did um, include like the premier races. Like, I think it's hard to take a lot. I, I do think that some of these quote unquote middle tier events could suffer this year because there are so many races at the top end of the spectrum. Like, I wonder where the, the, 10, 20, 30, maybe even $50,000 to win races. Like they just don't have the prestige that they maybe did three years ago. And let's be honest, there's so many options that I think we as racers, like I, I'll take myself as an example. Like I'm not going to every mega event this year. Like I, I can't afford to go and not do well. Right. So I'm going to pick and choose and there's enough races out there that I can do that. Um, and I think that that just gets magnified at the, this, that like mid range level. And I just don't think, while yes, I think by and large, uh, spring fling, spring fling, why do we, we both struggle with that? It's um, hard to say. It is. It's a mouthful. <laughs> spring fling a lot. It's encouraging that it sells out so quickly. I think, and I, I know that I, I say this all the time and probably, our listeners are probably tired of hearing it. What Pete and Kyle do with that fling brand is the gold standard. I just don't think that you can necessarily take that as proof to say, yep, you know, the, that mid-tier of bracket races is fine. All going to be fine. Like, well, let's see what happens with some of these other events. But no, by and large, like this thing just keeps chugging along and it keeps getting bigger and they're seemingly uh, no end in sight. Yep, I agree. Uh, but it, it's going to be fun for us to talk about as the season progresses and you know, attendance and winners and all those other things. So looking forward to another great year. But bracket racing is already off to a really good start. Uh, there's there's already been some really strong events out there. And our old buddy Hunter Patton, half-million-dollar man, is at it again, Luke. It's a new year. It's a new car. It's pretty much the same result. Hunter Patton wins at what I think was the first big purse of the year, $50,000 event down in Bell Rose. Yeah, Hunter gets it done down there. It was the first big one, uh, you know, 50000 again in today's uh, top ball bracket racing landscape. Might not, uh, might not seem like the biggest of events, but win you a $50,000 check and see how big it feels. Yeah, then tell me it's not a big yeah. deal, right? Yeah, then see how big it is. So huge win there for Hunter. I think that was a shootout. That was not uh, just an open bracket race. I think, Luke, that was a 64 card deal. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Gotcha. Uh, I think it was. And um, so, you know, that's uh, that's kind of high stakes. You you can't count on 500 entries making that 50K up. You, you got 64. So it's high stakes stuff. And um, typically 64 pretty bad folks on the racetrack getting after it and Hunter comes out on top uh, and the new car with the same old results. So good to see Hunter 
back at his winning ways and uh, I know we'll see him and the uh, Galiti gang stretched out across the country quite a bit this year looking for more big paydays. Yeah, I'm sure there have been more um, big events than uh, than what I'm thinking of, but I can think of three kind of marquee races to this point was uh, the the New Year's race at, uh, at West Palm, uh, CP's race at Bell Rose that we just talked about where Hunter Patton was the big winner, and uh, Galen's first King of the Coast race at Gulfport. And the the names that come out of those were all pretty familiar. Like Corey Galetti get the big win at West Palm, Hunter Patton uh, and Bell Rose, Johnny Brackett racer, Johnny Ezel won one of the days uh, at King of the Coast. So it's all kind of that same clan, that same group, but uh, certainly familiar faces in the big dollar bracket racing winner circle. Yeah, and I feel like what uh, JBR didn't win at King of the Coast, uh, AJ Ash has won. I think AJ's been to two or three finals already down there <laughs> on the coast, uh, got his season off to a good start in the Grand Slam. Uh, Charlie Lockhart has won pretty much everything, every race they've had on the good race they've had on the bottom bulb. Charlie off to his uh, normal winning ways. So bracket uh, racing's off to a good start already this year with some familiar names in the winner's circle. But um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out as, as we're starting to get pretty much weekly events from this point on, Luke. Uh, you know, we've, we've had them kind of sparingly here or there every two or three weeks. You find somewhere to race. But starting about here in the middle of March or so, it's every week you're going to be able to find something good to go do. All right, let's, let's circle back to Johnny because I feel like maybe I'm giving the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast too much credit, Jed. Did you see that the Pooh Brown Dragster is no longer the Pooh Brown, Pooh Brown Dragster? I did. I saw that. Um, it looks I, sharp. And, yeah. and if you remember back, if, if you listen to our uh, podcast from, is it the last show that we did together? Our, our Decade Awards. Yeah, that was it. I don't. I don't know if we. I don't think we granted Johnny the 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 worst appearing car of the decade for that brown dragster. But he was a nominee. He was He's definitely in the, <laughs> in the discussion, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the uh, the turkey car, as they called it, which is one of the winningest dragsters at the racetrack, maybe the the richest car at the racetrack to this point. Uh, it's got a new look, and I, I feel like I feel like we I feel like we played a role. I think we shamed him into it a little bit. <laughs> probably so johnny he, he's building a new house with his lovely bride madison and uh painting his race cars uh you know next thing you know the guy's gonna get a haircut or something and then who who knows where it goes from there what is the world coming to i have no idea but i'm liking it I funny liking note it. funny note okay i'm having like a uh, one of our group calls one of our uh, group meetings within this is bracket racing elite and a and a racer from johnny's area who will remain nameless uh, who's probably uh, 10 years, I'll guess, Johnny's elder. So maybe maybe a little bit more. And uh, But obviously watched Johnny grow up at the racetrack. And it took me a while, like in the process of telling the story, because he referenced uh, some of the racers in that area, and then he kept referring to and, – and then there's little Johnny and little Johnny and little Johnny. And I, finally I realized, like, he's talking about Johnny Ezell. So I actually <laughs> interrupted him and I go, hey, do do you call him little Johnny to his face? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's little Johnny. Okay. I, uh, I don't know if I, if I'm, if I'm on good enough terms with Johnny, I, I, I feel like I'm on good terms with Johnny. I don't know if I can get away with that, but I'm going to try it. Next time I see Johnny, little Johnny, mark my words. <laughs> he will love it. I, I think I, so. 
I hope so. Uh, I don't really yeah. want to get my eye dotted for it, but I'm going to nah, go. Little I have, uh, I have, I have it direct from the horse's mouth. He, he, he really thinks a lot of you. So I think you could pretty much say anything to little Johnny and he'll like it. He'll be laughing so, with us. Yeah. So, um, outside of that, Luke, um, I, I think, uh, I just want to touch on it real quick again. I think that bracket racing is going to be huge this year. Uh, we, I talked about it last year. We talked about how's it going to play out. And I even said just basically what you just said a little bit earlier. I think the tweeners are going to have the toughest battle in, in filling up the, the staging lanes or the pits. Those seemingly quote-unquote smaller events. 20s to 50s could struggle a little bit, but I really think that's a market that the some of the household names, if you will, will not be attending due to the amount of travel and expense they're going to have in chasing these huge monster paydays. And I think your your more just typical weekend racer can get involved in some of these 20s to 50s without having to face off against these mega funded bracket racing teams or some of these people that you read about every week or hear about on podcasts every week. So those promoters, I think if they do their job, there's a great opportunity for them. I, again, I think they've got the biggest challenge, but I also think they've got the largest market available to them that is untapped. So promoters keep working hard keep putting those great races out and hopefully we see great big crowds at your events as well. Didn't want to leave them out because I didn't want people to think I'm just all about these big millions and everything else. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. Like I said, that, that, that market worries me a little bit, but I I'm with you. I do think it is a land of opportunity and I hope that both racers and promoters um, can capitalize on it. Yeah. Um, all right, Jed. So, Let's get to the really important part of this podcast, because it is my understanding that as you prepare for your 2020 season, not just behind the wheel, but behind the microphone, um, there, there's some, there's some challenges. There's some hurdles facing. How can yeah, we help? So, so 2010 was basically when I'm, uh, well, I'm trying not to make this sound braggadocious, but became, uh, uh kind of a household name for, for doing the work on the microphone and you know my my little sayings and and little remarks were really fun and funny and everybody had a great time with them and they but were I fresh think they were fresh very right. well said but i think that now it's like everybody knows what's coming the old hide the sharp objects or mathematically ineligible or whatever i think has just played itself out luke and my my brain is not as fresh to where I can just come up with this new material. So I want to reach out to the listener, the podcast listener, because that's who I love and that's who I appreciate. And those of you that get out there and, and sit in the chat bleachers on the, the live feeds where I'm fortunate to get to work. I need you. I need you bad. I, I need some. Now I'm going to call it non-offensive material where I can kind of gig a little bit when a mistake is made or, you know, use a phrase or two to describe a race. 
Um, you know, I need you to tell me when a guy's late. Give me four or five little things I can throw out there and try to start using some fresh material. Tell me when, you know, the, somebody freight trains the finish line and gets them too much, which I really loved. I had Champ on the mic with me at a fling a couple of years ago. And <laughs> Jordan Wyke, uh, I think, had taken quite a bit. I mean, it was some really big numbers at the finish line. And Champ said, if anybody <laughs> needs any stripes, I think Jordan's got plenty of it at the trailer. <laughs> Go over and see him. So I thought that was really good and fresh and awesome. I need that kind of stuff. So I need the listeners to help and, and tell me, give me some phrases a little bit. Tell me what people want to hear, what you like. I don't know how, I don't know how you could incorporate this into, uh, into your announcing, but I, uh, I think it was directed at me. If not, it'll make for a better story. So I'll just, I'll just say that it was directed at me. I took a, a bunch of finish line to lose like maybe a final round or something like that. A, a race where everybody knew the numbers, you know, that this is years ago where not everybody knew the numbers. And it was, he gave it enough time to kind of simmer down. So it wasn't complete salt in the fresh wound. You know what I mean? Like maybe it was two <laughs> days later or maybe even the following weekend, but, uh, Troy Williams Jr. came up to me and I brought the race up and was like, yeah, man, I, I, uh, I ran so-and-so and -so I lost to so-and-so in the, in the, in the final, uh, you know, last weekend. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. Hey, did, uh, did he get his car fixed? I go, what, what do you mean? Did, did he, did he get across the finish line? Or are they still, are they still waiting? <laughs> did he cross the finish line yet? I know it was a week ago, but did he cross yet? <laughs> yeah, he crossed. <laughs> yeah, you can take that from Troy. I'm not sure if they'll take that from me. <laughs> I uh, think we, you got more grace than you think. <laughs> we got to work on non-offensive. Uh, See, but, I know. think you're making too big a deal about that. I, I, I just, you shouldn't, I, I, we shouldn't have to worry so much about being nice. We as racers, we need a little thicker skin because we all screw up. Yeah. And and I we're as hard on ourselves as anybody, but we tend oh. to take it very personally when somebody else gets a little dig in there. Yeah, I don't I don't talk near as bad about anyone else on the mic as I talk about myself. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you everything I did wrong, and and get myself real bad. So just understand that I, I I'm not saying anything about you that I wouldn't say about myself. But you know some of these. Some of these non-wind lights, when the wind light comes on in the other lane and it's a certain part of the race, you've got to... You know, Has anybody ever gotten you. confrontational with you about something you said about them? No. No, never. it's never happened, but, you know, I'm, I try to be careful. Well... To, uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm playing it too soft. See, you know, I just think, like, if I got up there, like, I don't think I've ever announced outside of the summer door car shootout like around racing in my life maybe i'm a bad example right but i think like the average joe goes up there and, and says jesus christ could you take more finish line right like somebody might take offense i think you can get away with it Jed, by and large <laughs> I, I i i think you got some leniency and i'm just trying to think back like one of my favorite stories and this is one of those things that it was introduced to me so long ago and now I've told my version of the story, like as if I was there and as if I heard it. And as I think about this, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard this, but there's like, and it may just be complete myth and folklore, but I remember stories of, of yesteryear where if let's say, well, I don't know what the discretionary number was, but if you took more than like 50, a finish line and broke out, there was some announcer somewhere that had a train whistle like on 
command in the tower and would just blow it over the PA, right? No explanation needed. Just, you know, took a freight train, right? I mean, that's, I, I feel like we need more of that. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that I've heard of the train whistle as well. And, uh, you know, they, that I've heard the old, you can build a, build a Walmart. Uh, between the two cars, kind of strappy to <laughs> two <and> country miles, <laughs> all that stuff. So, I, you know, I'm trying to y'all help me decide where the line is. What's what's too offensive? Give me give me a lot of material. Let me look through it. Try to figure out, you know, what's what I think will pass and what won't. But the point of it all is, I need some new stuff, and I'm not good enough to think of it on my own. You know, there's a Facebook post already out there. Uh, producer Mark put a post on the, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. There's all there's already a couple of responses. Austin Williams said uh, to quote my friend Casey Plazier, "If someone is late, track is probably sticky." Held them in the lights. I like that. <laughs> I really like that. That's not offensive, but it's funny, and you get it. Like you know, I've I've used the whole he snowed in or somebody i apologize whatever staff member was standing in front of the tree when so and so left right there because obviously <laughs> couldn't see it um but i like that one sticky track and held them in the lights Britt cummings uh hired me to do the only um no prep race i've ever done in my life which was about one of the weirdest things i've ever done as an announcer wasn't sure if i was doing a good job or not um he's thinking maybe i can use some are you some sure no now prep Five years after the fact. Oh, and maybe I can bring some no prep announcing to the game, you know, like talk about the gap. How, you know, we, uh, uh, PJ Fouts and, uh, and myself, PJ North, excuse me, and myself were, uh, were co-announcing that. And, you know, we, the gap is a big thing in no prep, uh, how much gap there was between the cars. So, you know, we were, we were saying things like, he fed him or he, he served him a cup of gappuccino um, <laughs> stuff like that uh which was pretty good so you know I, I might need to i might need to bring some of that just a little little comment or two from the no prep side from a no prep days uh, to so, the bracket racing scene so i think like uh, if you cross the finish line first a baby gap is good but if you can't cross <laughs> the finish line first you want to give the gap <laughs> yeah yeah, right. yeah, you want a baby gap, and that's exactly that. <laughs> I like that. I need to. I need See, to. There you go. I'm glad I could contribute. Luke already on the table with some stuff. So, but I can't remember things very well. So I need this in in writing. I need to be able to read it off of the the Facebook page. So our listeners go out there, contribute, give me some good stuff to use. Uh, I'll try to incorporate as much of it as I can. But I need new material. I am uh, what we're. A little over a month, month and a half from uh, from flying to Vegas for the uh, Spring Fling Million, and um, I need to start getting myself ready for that uh, for that outing. And I need your material so I can start working on it. So y'all help me out a little bit. All right, now I'll stick with my guns here and say that we as racers need thicker skin, and like you should just let us all have it. I'm all for that completely granted if i was in your shoes i don't think i could do it either so i get where you're coming from but i've always said and i'll stick to this if i ever own a racetrack which by the way will never happen right like i do not have any desire to be trade caps or mike rice much less what 
Royce Miller or name your favorite track owner operator, right? Like completely thankless job. Exactly. Not something that I see myself signing up for ever. But if I ever did, let's just say that I won the lottery and like just wanted to go blow money on, I'll, I'll operate a racetrack. Like that'd be fun, right? Yeah. I would not have wind lines. I would have some type of like spring loaded arm on each guardrail well past the finish line. And it, it, when you lost, it would just bang, it would give you the L. Just come right out in your lane, right in your face. Boom. And so they like, come back, hey, did I win? Did I win? Did you get the L? No, get on back up there and try again. You did good. You get the L, you got to go. You talking about like a, like a gong show? Like you gong them? Like, I'm just telling you, it's right on the guardrail, but it's way past the finish line where it won't cause a wreck. And it like shoots out, like the arm extends, so you can't miss okay. it. It's right in your way. Big L. <clears throat> You're out. <laughs> it's not so about looking for the wind light. It's just about avoiding the L. <laughs> you know, you, uh, I don't know if you've ever raced at Lions, Indiana, but I have not. And it's not that far from here, but I've never been there. The wind light is, uh, like a, a fluorescent thumbs up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We just got to flip it over and, and, oh, and, and reverse stuff. the polarity or whatever. Yeah. I just want, nope, out. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. And for our older listeners, you, you, the way you said that, that like, like you'd kick it out. It maybe reminded me of the Gong Show. The Gong Show, I yes. Need, I need to uh, download the Gong Show sound and, and Gong. Yes, yes. Gong some losers. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Baggeracer gets the win, and in the left, Luke Bogacki. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Epic. Yeah, I gotta work on uh, downloading some sound. That's that's gonna be good. That's what you need. You need drops. <laughs> yeah, drops. Perfect. Uh, good stuff. I'm glad we could help uh, with some clarity, Jed. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. I know our listeners are gonna chime in and and give me some great stuff to work with there. So. But Luke, I think that pretty much wraps us up. Anything else that we miss, we need to chat about? No, I got some shouts, but uh, let, let's close this thing up and jump into them. Yeah, well, that uh, that definitely wraps up this episode number 170 of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Thank you guys for listening. I uh, want to thank our great sponsors for this show, CP Promotions with the Two-Step 50K coming up, the Great American Guaranteed Million by Britt and Galen. Again, those entries are falling away quickly, guys. Make sure you sign up. That's a guaranteed million-dollar win race. Don't want to miss that. And the great folks at bte as always we thank them for their support luke what's what's you got on shout out list uh shouts to this really isn't that funny but i had it written down shouts to ryan's everywhere ryan y'all be careful right been a bad month for ryan's shouts to center caps actually i don't think we're recording that it's a bit of an inside joke uh that's for us to know and you guys to wonder about shouts to the men at work and the land down under Oh, Shouts yeah. to Ed Olpen. He is the undertaker. Shouts to the spring fring. And of course, <laughs> shouts to little Johnny. You know who you are. Great shout out, Liz, Luke. I loved it. You're back in form. Uh, guys, be sure to uh, message us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, tell us all those new phrases that I can use. Tell us what you think we're doing right, what you think we're doing wrong. And Luke says we should have thick skin, so don't sugarcoat it. If we suck, just tell us we suck, and we need to get better. We're okay with it. Yeah, you can turn the tables on that. We, we, <laughs> I, I, I think we can take it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it ain't like it'd be a surprise. We know, uh, but we don't uh, think we're very good at this, so that's if, different. <laughs> if you uh, if you prefer to uh, tweet us, you can at either Luke or myself right there on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B O G A C K I. I am at JP Eleven X. We'd love to hear from you, either or or both. Be sure to uh, catch up with us and let us know what you're thinking. Again, contribute on the Facebook page for those new phrases that uh, you'd like to hear me using this year when I get on the microphone at these events. And um, great, uh, great having the team back together. It was a wonderful time talking to you about some racing, and we can't wait to do it again soon. Thanks for listening. You guys have a great week. As we get closer to racing season, you'll need to start thinking about which of your parts could use a tune-up or replacement. Keep BTE in mind. For all of your high-performance transmission needs, torque converters, parts, complete transmissions, whatever you need, BTE does it all. Check them out at bteracing.com or find them on Facebook. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. The Texas Motorplex will be the place to be. From March 11th through the 15th, Cody Pollage and CP Promotions will bring the Pro One Texas Two-Step 50K presented by J. Allen Sherman Racing Engines and RaceSponsorships.com to Ennis, Texas. Box racers will run for $50,000 on Saturday, surrounded by $10,000 to win races on Thursday. Friday and Sunday. No box racers will run for $7,500 to win Saturday, surrounded by five granders. Complete weekend entries provide the best bargain at $650 for box, $400 for no box, respectively. There will be racer appreciation dinners. There will be a cool last chance lotto. First and second round losers can purchase a chance for $10 to be drawn and put back into round three each day. Check it out on the CP Promotions Facebook page or in one of our posts on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. All right, quick update on arguably the biggest event on the calendar in 2020. That is the Great American Guaranteed Million. The guys at the Great American Guaranteed Million have some updates, have some announcements. They are down to 67 entries remaining in the Guaranteed Million, and those spots continue to sell daily. There are seven, yes, seven gamblers races scheduled all across the country. So keep a close look out for those on the Great American Facebook page. It could be a chance to win an entry into the big event for a very small investment. Mickey Thompson Tires is on board as the title sponsor of the Great 48 bottom ball portion of the event. This landmark event will feature the Scoggin Dickey Performance Center factory stock shootout presented by SamTac. This will be a much watch, must watch portion of the Great American Guaranteed Million coming to Memphis Memorial Day weekend. If you want some, come and get some, cause I'll be willing to bet that you want none. If you want some, come and get some.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.